0: You're listening to the Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle Dolan as she interviews a range of prominent leaders about their experiences. Her guests share stories about challenges they've faced during their career, as well as important learning opportunities or moments of insight. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are encouraged to embrace authenticity and real communication. Welcome to the latest edition of the Authentic Leadership Podcast. I am very excited today to be speaking to Deb Ganterton, who is the CEO of the Greater Metropolitan Cemeteries Trust, which sounds like an amazing job. And Deb has said, I can ask her any question about cemeteries. So welcome, Deb.
1: Well, thank you, Gabrielle. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. Now, we're going to get in stuck into a whole lot of things because I actually crowdsourced questions for this interview, as I've started to do recently. And we've had a lot of, lot of interesting questions come through when I sort of said anything you'd be dying to ask uh, the someone who runs cemeteries, fire away. So we've got some really, really good questions. Before we get into that, though, I'd love to just ask you a few questions about your, you know, your life before this and going back to your younger life. So where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Clayton. Mm hmm. So my parents, my father was um, with both teachers and they got a block of land through the um, war service homes or something or other. So just where Monash Medical Centre is now. Oh,
0: OK. OK. So
1: That was really, really interesting. So it was um, a, a street that ended up with Fregan Park. So we knew all our neighbours, you know, Mad keen St Kilda supporters. So if, you know, St Kilda won, and they were in my dad's garage on Sunday morning, and we had to go in and get them for the roast dinner. And if they lost, everyone's lawns got mowed. <laughs> I could imagine
0: there'd be a lot of uh, nice, neat lawns recently.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: And and you uh, siblings, brothers, sisters?
1: Yeah, I have an older brother, eighteen months older, Christopher.
0: Mm-hmm. So just the two of you. Yep. What what was your first job, your first ever like, you know, paid job?
1: Um, law clerk. For trainee law clerk.
0: Ah, okay. So you went and studied law and then
1: No, 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 a law clerk, like like a conveyancing clerk.
0: Oh, right. So, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So R M I T.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I I was, yeah. So I, I got the job and, and and I studied at the same time.
0: Right. Okay. Excellent. How old were you there?
1: Oh, 16.
0: Oh, wow, that's young. Good on you. Yeah. Good on you. Um, Okay, and now so where do you live now?
1: I live in research, which is next to Eltham mm mm-hmm.
0: Lovely, lovely, lovely. So I, I introduced you to what you do, that you're the, the CEO of the Greater Mel, uh, Metropolitan Cem- Cemeteries Trust. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what is that, what cemeteries does that involve? And um just just so people know sort of what you do.
1: Sure, absolutely. So we've got 19 cemeteries and two greenfield sites in north east west. Melbourne so metropolitan Melbourne is is looked after by two cemetery trusts two class a cemetery trusts and then there are about 479 class b the so little local ones like Eltham Cemetery etc cetera, etc cetera. Oh, so wow. um, so my main ones would be Faulkner Altona Keylor Lilydale, and all the surrounding ones
0: Right. And so what's a greenfield site? You said there's two greenfield sites. What does that mean?
1: We've got land and we are to build new cemeteries. So we've got a very exciting, we've just launched the, um, announced the consortium to build a new cemetery at Parkness. So that's Melton, Mm -hmm. four times the size of the Botanic Gardens. So you can imagine the wonderful opportunity we have because this would be the largest cemetery development in 100 years in in Victoria. So what are cemeteries of the future? Will What is our contribution to open space? Do we maximise the yield and build as many graves as we can or do we provide parkland? So that, I suppose, poses a question which we will go deeply into the community about, the cemeteries for the dead or for the living.
0: Mm. Wow, what what an an opportunity! It actually, actually, there there was two uh, questions that came in from from the uh, from my crowdsourcing, and one was: Will space ever be an issue? Oh, absolutely, it will be.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, New South Wales, um, the government has just come in with the Eleventh Hour report. They are running out of land. So, you know, we need to respect cultural practices, personal preferences. But land is a finite resource. Should land be built, be be, be used to inter the dead? What are the rates for cremation? So really difficult, difficult questions. Um, Mm. We are partnering with Melbourne University, the the, the death tech team, to look at the future cemetery. So would you have, um, I don't know, high rise, cemeteries would you know like car parks would you underground japan oh, there, there's 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 precedence um in in japan oh sorry all over the world to grapple with this question the fear i have is as land gets scarce would we be able to if you're only rich you can afford to be buried and that would mm-hmm. be a dreadful dreadful situation so i don't have the answer But uh, it's certainly um, we are looking uh, at that. Um, At the moment in Victoria, they're probably all right, 20, Mm -hmm. 30 years. But um, I think it's a situation that needs to be grappled with.
0: Yeah. And so one of the other questions, um, and maybe you're working through this, is what role can cemeteries play in being environmental havens for our flora and fauna?
1: Because oh, that- I'm absolutely committed to um, to contributing. So the current thinking is obviously um, we <laughs> you know we've got old like there are three stages of cemeteries cemeteries that are pull up and remember we have to keep our cemeteries in perpetuity. We 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 can't so like, our planning is a hundred years, two hundred years. So. Would you think of cemeteries that are end of life cemeteries? Would we go greening them? Like will we just turn them into forests? When we build new cemeteries, would we instead of what's you know, instead of heaps and heaps of monuments, would we make them parkland? Would we yeah, so, so for instance, in the city of Moreland, where Faulkner is, We are the largest contributor to open space in that local government area, maintained at no cost to the community, at no cost to the government. We maintain it. So I think, wow, we've got a significant role to play.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I've, I've got another question here about, uh, I, I, we'll spend a little bit of time on, on cemeteries and that because it is interesting and then I will go into some more about you and your leadership. Uh, do you think the pandemic that we're all going through will encourage more fam- families to plan ahead and, um, and by do, doing so, gradually sort of get rid of the taboo te- to, to around death and the, the conversation of death?
1: I would really hope so. I, I would you know, our society does not discuss, talk about death, does not plan for death. And I, I don't, I mean, death is part of life. Um, I think we could learn a lot from, from other cultures. So yeah, I, I, I look, don't waste a crisis. You know, the, the death cafes, is the wonderful work that groundswell are doing the center for grief and bereavement. Um, I find when I, you know, go to barbecues, say, what do you do? I say, well, I run cemeteries. There's silence. (laughs) And then there's questions. So I think people are curious. You know, you don't catch death by talking about it.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah, and it is, it is a sort of taboo. I mean, I know, you know, my my mum always has been planning her funeral for years and we sort of go, oh, mum, that's a, like it's a bit morbid, mm. but she wants to be prepared. She wants the photo. She's chosen the photo. She's chosen the hymns. She's, you know, because she doesn't want to leave it to chance. And I guess what you're saying now is we should engage in that conversation and not um, just of go, course. oh, mum, yeah.
1: Of of course. Mm.
0: It's
1: normally The family that's reticent not the person so I think of the conversations when people are in palliative care you know or but they're I mean everyone's different but I just think it's really healthy to make your views known to discuss because it'll come to us all and that makes it so much easier to grieve so much easier to um Get consensus. Get, I mean, the last thing you need when you're going through the worst period of your life is having squabbles within the family. Yeah. Like, you, you, you just don't need that. Honor the wishes. Oh, I might add though, um, my 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 mum passed earlier this year. It was a very good death. She just you Know 95 had a good innings and she was ready to go. Um, and she just goes, Well, you know, I don't want anything, I was, you know, I want to be cremated, you know, I'm dead, dah, dah, dah. and I go, I completely understand, mum. And I, you know, I'd interviewed her, um, I knew exactly what you want, um, I discussed it with my brother, we had it all. But when it came to it, the because it was during COVID, um, and so I did a, a cremation at, at Lilydale with. with no service i couldn't just put her into a box so i got a little woolen woolen casket because i wanted her to be warm and you just go oh Mm. debbie Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So, so i actually went against her wishes because it was about me
2: yeah and
1: and i i sent her off proudly and i just thought that was beautiful well so you never know until you're in the position
2: yeah.
0: How are you just talked about COVID and then sorry to hear that. I, I, um, I, my, it's actually, uh, it would have been my dad's 89th birthday today and he passed away November, like 18 months ago. So all through COVID, I just kept thinking, thank goodness we, we were able to have the funeral with hundreds, hundreds of people there. Beautiful. Um, and not during COVID. How have you noticed sort of people had to cope with having funerals with, just a small amount of people
1: oh shocking Mm. shocking Uh, and 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 the ramifications will be felt for years if not generations um i completely support what 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 the government are doing don't get me wrong but gosh and the lockdowns when they weren't able to visit the cemetery Mm. on all souls day or the anniversaries some people come every day so to sit there and not allowed. Oh, it was just dreadful, dreadful, dreadful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed in regards to death and, and during COVID, an increase in people dying or a decrease no, no, because decrease? Yeah,
1: death rates down um, because of people's hygiene habits, I suppose. With the flu, the the, the the non-fraternization. You know, you're not getting out. You're not having kids going to school, et cetera. Et cetera. No, no, no
2: that
0: death rates down wow that's it's 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 quite surprising isn't it but I guess not surprising in one hand for the way you've spoken about it um hey Deb I want to talk a little bit more about you now and uh, I guess looking at your career and your journey in life and how you've got to the role you have what? Who's been the biggest influence? Who was the biggest influence, or is the biggest influence, when you were growing up or in your early career?
1: Yeah, no one person. I have always had coaches, mentors. I choose my CEOs very carefully.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: um, the relationship you have with your direct manager. I've been wonderfully supported um throughout my career by interestingly enough I, I think my preference for a leader is like a servant leader mm-hmm. sort of you with know, a bit of humility a but a bit of drive you know so maybe, maybe because i'm i'm an extrovert i'm really attracted to introverts I, I i don't know what can you bring to the table what is the balance around the table and I think self-knowledge uh, not not ego but but re- and, and that's about being authentic really know yourself and 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 understand what you can bring. I think mm. a truly successful leader can bend to fill the gaps that the team doesn't have yeah I see a leader as an enabler. So, for me, I need order. I need a ve- I need an operating framework. Once I have that, I can be as innovative as all hell. <laughs> so, I go into that space when it is perhaps lacking that it's either the maturity of the organization or it's not in the team. If I'm surrounded by, amazingly exciting marketers and innovators I don't need to go there yeah So it, it, it's yeah I think flexibility understanding yourself and being able to read what the team dynamics is so that you can fill the gaps
0: mm. It's um, there's a question here from one of our IABC colleagues, Sia, uh, which is sort of what you're talking about. But she she wanted to ask you, when do you feel your most authentic self?
1: Well, it's not something you switch on. It's 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 a way of being. Frankly, I don't think I could be anything else. Now, that's interesting because that could be quite confronting to people. Are you oversharing? Are you brutal? But that, that's, again, understanding your brand, being true to that brand, and trying to impart your intent. I think if people understand your intent, why you're doing that, so, where you're coming from, the context, through which you're operating, I think that builds a bit of trust and comfort because look, I don't hold back in the gifts of feedback. You know, it's just <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving. But again, I'm not being a bitch. Yeah. And I'm not being destructive. And I truly honor and believe my colleagues and my staff. But you know, sometimes you just gotta also I think it's really important. My role I talk about advocate and and trusted advisor. I want to be a trusted advisor. I want to be respected for an opinion. I have no need for you to to convert. I I don't need you to change because that sets up a dynamic of win-lose. But a trusted advisor, I do have a visceral need to be heard. Mm. I have no need to be right or to convert.
0: Yeah, I uh, you, you said before that uh, one of the things you need is to understand your brand. And I think a lot of people don't put a lot of time or even mm. thought into what their brand is because we all have a brand, mm. um, but some people aren't aware of it. And when you're not aware of it, uh, it's it's hard to be consistent or it's hard to amplify it. Uh, what what Can we spend a bit of time on that? Like, what have you actively thought about what your brand is and what you want oh, it to be?
1: I'm quite deliberate. I am absolutely deliberate about my brand, and I really am. I confusing people. Am I? You know, my earlier career, I was doing media, and you know, Wednesday was media day, and I had to get deadlines and da 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 da. So it's sort of just like I turned into Godzilla, like, and yet Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I was. Hail, hey, or welcome, or you know, come in, how are you? And then on Wednesday, it's like, don't speak. And I thought, well, right, I'm sending out wrong signals. So I kind of explained to people that probably not a good idea to come into my office and waffle on a Wednesday. Just protect yourself, you know, nothing. Nothing personal, but I'm kind of like I'm on a deadline, about to go to camera. Like, just you know, just don't. So I think it is. Um, but, but then I also learned to modify the extremes of uber friendliness and uber bitchiness, or you know, like don't speak to me. I'm I'm more important than you. So I, I, that, that was a, a learning for me but i also think you should and speak to your um culture people department we need that 360 feedback we mm. need to know how you're landing what you are perceived for you will need to understand what you want to be trusted for and then what people want to trust you for so it's 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 a two way street and i think it's so much easier when you land on your brand. So that then relates to do you have a clear idea of your purpose, your personal purpose? And I I I learned that maybe 15 years ago. And and my purpose is to think up really good questions and place them wisely. So that just got that through that lens. I'm there as a, a challenger. Hopefully I have the wit and charm to not offend. But I am relentlessly curious. And mm. I, I have no fear about asking questions. Again, if you don't need to convince people, you're just asking questions and your intentions are pure, you can actually get away with quite a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I mentioned you would ask them in a very witty and humorous way too.
1: Um, was your leader how has your leadership changed
0: over your career, do you think?
1: Oh lord. Well, I was a child of the 70s and 80s, command and control. And then one of my coaches expressed to me that perhaps that was a little dinosaur. And how <laughs> was it working for me? Well, I thought, I don't know. Boss says I jump, I jump, I tell my team to jump, they jump. She's like That'll go
2: with,
1: you know, other generations. How do you think it's landing now? So I asked the question. Apparently it was offensive. So so seriously, get gift back is a gift back. Feedback is a gift. I like that.
0: It's gift back. It is a gift, isn't it? We've just created a new word.
1: Are you kidding me? I thought, as only an extrovert can, that... My worldview of jump was what I expected from everyone else, <laughs> apparently. Apparently that wasn't working for me. So that <laughs> that really that was a like a game changer.
0: Yeah, like, I love the way you said apparently it was offensive. <laughs> <laughs> um what's been the biggest challenge you've faced in your career?
1: Isn't that interesting?
0: As in, you don't have one or? Well, can't, there's
2: many. the
1: The feedback I get is that I'm optimistic, eternally optimistic. The feedback that I received around that is
2: perhaps I could be perceived as not dealing with really difficult issues.
1: Whereas, behind my optimism and and I think as a CEO, as a leader, my role is to deal. So I I, I, I do scenarios. I, I I love dystopic views of the world. I just go, you know what and it's quite natural to me to look at everything, what can go wrong, what can't go wrong. that doesn't cause me to despair. It just allows me to plan. Therefore I present as with solutions, not problems. But I was fascinated that that was misconstrued, or perhaps perceived by some, that that was misconstrued as not really dealing with the issues. So I then learnt at a board level to share this is the problem I'm dealing with. This is where it could go, and this is what I'm doing. So again, it's that feedback, because it was a blind spot for me because I believe my my role is to solve stuff whereas take them through your thinking we have an issue here this is what I, my understanding of the issue and this is what I'm doing so it landed really really well so in mm. my performance review this year that was acknowledged that my style was changed and they were feeling much more comfortable
0: wow it is and I I guess it's you know just you saying that it's uh, to me it's because the whole concept of authentic leadership is being true to yourself. It doesn't mean you don't evolve as a leader it doesn't mean you don't change your style um, to do you know to be more effective and I think I think that uh, story just highlights that so thank you for sharing that Deb um okay so if that's been if that's been a challenge and it sounds like a relatively recent challenge too what's been what's been the highlight of your career and why?
2: Oh gosh, there's been so many. I um I ran a restaurant. I married a chef <laughs> and
1: <laughs> for my sins. Um and I ran a a wonderful fine dining restaurant in 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 Gippsland for seven years, nine years. Um so I, I went from um, you know, law clerk.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To then working for um, a firm of accountants specialising in hospitality and tourism, um, I, I studied um, management consulting, strategic foresight, like so that I put quite a lot into what I needed to do. But it was really interesting. So after like ten years of management consulting, and and I, I had all the theory. I, I seriously I knew everything, and then to go into running your own business. I'd never seen such cash. I mean it was just like money coming in. And and I spent it. And then as I went on strike and I had like 12 staff with families that I had to feed, I had to go to the bank manager and go, Oh, I should can't afford to pay my wages. So he goes, What's your booking like this week? I said, They're okay. So he said, Okay, so we'll so. I was so proud to be at the coalface. I was so proud to work with local producers, produce truly wonderful food, and not to be a consultant, not 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 to tell people what to do, but but to do. I think I think that's my 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 absolute proudest moment. I think.
0: Mm, yeah no you can see it you can see it in your in your face what so moving now to current back to current about with your role uh, with cemeteries what do you love about your job at the moment
1: oh the people the workforce of, of of 260 staff so we've got we run cities, cities for the dead rather than, you know, whatever. Um, we've got horticulture, infrastructure, we build, we've got designers, we've got architects, we've got landscapers, our front line. I would laugh and I would cry every week. The caring and compassion when we stuff up and, you know, we do. I sit in the lounge room of grieving families try to explain how I gave them the wrong ashes. Like you just go, you just go are you kidding me? So have you scattered some yet? Just, there is no excuse. But I need to hear, I need to give them the opportunity to tell me the impact this has had on you and your family. Mm. And that is part of that authentic. I then go back to my teams. We have stand-ups every morning to say, I have just sat with a family. There is no blame. I understand mistakes happen. I need you to know the effect this has on people. So when you don't double-check your documentation. So I've got these men and women
2: crying
1: because this is so real. It's not just a piece of paperwork I didn't check. This is devastating. So I think I like the reality. Mm -hmm. I think I love the people who are attracted to the cemetery sector, to the death care sector, and we're doing stuff that really matters.
0: Yeah, you are, absolutely. Um, Someone asked me to ask you what shocks you most about your job and how you deal with that. Is, is it those sort of type of mistakes when you've given people the wrong ashes or is there oh, I fast something track through, else?
1: I fast-track through shock to get to. <laughs> oh, my Lord, how can I, ma- oh, my Lord. So, um, what shocks me? I suppose the level of immaturity and respect that the sector has. I am, no one knows about cemeteries. Government do not allow for in the planning scheme for cemetery, you know, when, when you build new, new areas, kindergartens, hospitals, but not cemetery land. Well, I think that's appalling.
0: Yeah, th- it seems like a massive oversight.
1: Shocking. In emergency management, cemeteries are not included in emergency management. My workers are not considered emergency workers. Well, mm. you know, let the bodies pile up on Sydney Road. I like I. I don't get it. Now, I lay the blame within the sector. We need to be prouder of what we do. We need to... And and, and look, the Cemeteries and Crematoria Association is it, it, doing really, really well. We all must get behind that. We must partner with the Department of Health. We mustn't be a burden to them. We are self-funded. So I, I have to make an income of $60 million a year. Oh, sorry, I do. I do make an income of $60 million a year, self-funded, not-for-profit, providing an essential service for Victorian families for now and in perpetuity. So I think we need to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves to, say, respect ourselves, work very closely with our funeral directors, work very closely with our stonemasons to really provide the service that Victorian families need. So. I'm probably shocked at the maturity of the organisation. I mean, we've been there for 150 years. Mm. We'll be there for another 150. So who cares? We should. And from that, be of service and assist the government.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. Um, Okay, moving back to sort of more personal questions for you now. We're well, not overly personal. But it's like, what's built? What's been the silver lining for you of COVID, both professionally and personally?
1: We have been able to fast track organizational change that would never been inconceivable. So we went through quite a large investment um, in two thousand and nineteen in in digital capacity, digital capability. So my call centre was able to operate at home. I find, so it was just, um, you know, as I said before, don't waste the crisis. We will never go back to full time in the office. So we were looking at, you know, building new offices. That I was going, no, we, we, we actually don't need to. The um, lack of time wasted in traffic. And commuting, um, my workforce has loved it. Now, of course, the, the dilemma is the majority of my workforce cannot work virtually, cannot work remotely. So was there inequity there? So we, we we check in with them. How are you feeling? But so committed are they to their jobs. They go, you can't dig a grave remotely.
2: You can't no. prune
1: the roses remotely. So there was a great feeling of we're in it together and we are providing a, a wonderful, wonderful service. Personally, I have loved being home with my husband, being able to do slow-cooked dinners, to actually have dinner together, um, to work together. I'm a bit over Zoom, I might add, a bit (laughs) over all of that. So I think it was the resilience that I have seen the flexibility that we've been able to fast track. Um, Yeah, we were able to mobilise really, really quickly. It was said two years ago to me, you know, we'd we'd be able to do this change or we'd be, I'd go, no way. So I think everyone just lent in. We all had a very shared experience. Pandemic is very frightening and confronting. I think everyone has grown through it. I think the greatest people who were affected were those who were homeschooling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. uh, A day did did not go by and I did not think, thank goodness, this didn't happen 10 years ago when my kids were younger.
1: If you need to come to work, honey, come to work.
0: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Hey, when you're not at work, what do you love doing?
1: I love traveling. Oh <laughs> where would you
0: go? Okay, Crazy. you've got to ask the question, where's the first place you'd go? If you know, just don't even think like practical. If we if you could jump on a plane tomorrow, where would it be?
1: Well, interestingly, had you asked me two years ago it'd be New York. Now it would be Greece. Ah. I think I want just to look at really good food. So my husband's an architect. Yeah. And all my travel is looking at brutalist buildings. So I travel the world looking at ugly concrete buildings. So um I, I think that um now I just want beautiful food, wonderful people, and immerse myself in mm. in 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 a culture that that I really love.
0: Yeah. If you could change one thing about you, what would it be?
2: And you're not allowed to say nothing. That's. Change, modify. I reckon. I think I can do anything. Sometimes, maybe,
1: I overcommit. (laughs) And I truly believe in in, in delivering, I, I, I will not let people down. But sometimes that might be at the expense of my relationships because I'm a bit driven by work. So maybe just calm down on being a superwoman. I can do that. Oh, I can. Oh, I'm interested in that. We all go on that board. Calm down. It does calm. not
0: surprise me that you overcommit to stuff.
1: Calm down.
0: Just. Hmm. So someone, someone has asked you. Very serious question. How many pairs of glasses do you own? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so in my travels, in my travels, I don't collect tea towels. I collect glasses and frames. So rude question, Imogen. I I, I reckon I could um, have one every day of the month. Right and and not repeat and and my husband John Henry he went and got a second hand optometrist's tree if you will, so I've now got that in my home, like an objet d'art, and I just (laughs) go there every morning and I pick which glasses do I want to wear today. There's power glasses, there's diminutive glasses. There's I mean it's just hilarious. I'm not proud of it. They all
0: prescription. They're all so. If you like you know, as if your eyes deteriorate and your prescriptions changes, you've got to get like thirty lenses.
1: Yeah, I got my fave. Some I've 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 let go, but I certainly would have twelve current. <laughs> no, I know, it's it's there is no excuse for this. Um I know. but I I love it.
0: See, and I think, too, like we were talking about brand before. I mean, clearly the brand is, you know, your values and how you behave. But I think something like that becomes part of your brand, like your your oh. glasses, your funky glasses are part of your brand.
1: Isn't that interesting? So if I may share another thing about how I live the brand, um, because I'm blessed with the architect husband who's got a chair collection that would put the National Gallery to shame. Um, as soon as I got into the CEO suite, I just decorated it. So I have got fabulous artwork. I've got amazing furniture. So people walk in, well, you walk into a cemetery, right? And all of a sudden there's bright colours and there's amazing um, modern furniture and sculptures and art. So they know they are not dealing with mediocrity here. My staff come for a visit, like, oh, what's Deb got today? Or So I, I think, and again, that's pretty brave. So I had to say to my chair when I got the job, you know, I just need you to know that if you're gonna sec me, I'll need more than a box to take out my pens and I might need it like a furniture removal truck.
0: You need a box just for your glasses. <laughs> I I I truly think if the if someone had if you know had an image of what the CEO of Cemetery Trust would be, <laughs> it would be the complete opposite of You would Would be
1: surprised. I look at my fellow CEOs and they are all gregarious and fun and compassionate, caring, but uh, it's all like you'd have to be, wouldn't you? Yeah.
2: You'd you'd,
1: you'd have to be a very positive person dealing with what we deal with and being able to support families in their time of need. But, yeah, Yeah. I mean.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Deb, okay. Final couple of questions or few questions. Um, do you have a favourite quote? I've, I've noticed you've said several times the Winston Churchill one, Don't let a good crisis go to waste. You've said that twice in this interview. But do you have a favourite quote that you sort of live by or go back to?
1: No, not really. I think that I think it really helps, like being a communications person, because you're kind of trained in key message development.
2: Mm. I mean
1: authentically, key, but clarity. So you can kind of sum up. You don't have too many words. You just so it's situational, it's ingrained in me to respond with a very clear message of what I'm trying to communicate. You then breathe, and then you give your proof points. And this is why. And you tell a story. So, yeah, I, I I've got so many homilies in my mind, but no, I I think I think I tend to rely on assessing a situation. What words would add value? What words would distract from the message? And then and then nail it.
0: <laughs> hey, and talking about words, you, you know I'm the founder of jargon free Fridays. Do you have like do you have like a, a corporate jargon term that you know you hate or you try to avoid or if you could make it illegal to use you would
1: All jargon is offensive. <laughs> so if you could just think of audience, how would this land? and if you don't have the wit to make it simple, I don't want you on my team. I'm probably more. I'm probably more paranoid about punctuation.
0: Oh, are you? Oh, okay. Well, I would. I. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I'd never make it on your team. If...
1: Oh well. Because... I'd, I'd.
0: I'd make it with the jargon. I'd be pretty good on the jargon, but um. Just yeah.
1: Don't use ampersands <laughs> unless it's a proper noun, because it's not okay. <laughs> I know.
0: Oh this is the of everything we've spoken about you're actually getting fired up
1: about this i do it's a quest it's a lifelong quest
0: you should um you know i've started jargon free fridays what, what you could start something similar
1: oh i love that i'd love that it's a I man my beautiful chief people risk officer gave me a from i don't know aero or office works uh Illuminated ampersand. Well, I didn't think that was funny. She knows how sensitive I am about it. And I've got it in my office and I turn it on. (laughs) Thank you, Timmy Petitsas.
0: Too funny. Okay, and we're going to end this with a few quick questions. Um, What's the one meal you love cooking? Do do you get to cook?
1: Oh, I cook. I am passionate about food. I reckon cassoulet, midwinter, French, yeah, cassoulet. I love beans. Beans, yep, cassoulet.
0: Okay, all right. Sounds good. Would have got to work out over this winter, I'm sure. hmm What's your favourite 80s song or artist? Now, you said you grew up in the 70s. You can go 70s if you want, but, you know, what's your favourite like anything artist? 70s
1: and 80s, don't like, no, no, no.
0: Um, hang on book stop just stop you don't like anything 70s or 80s
1: no no I go classical I go Nina Simone yeah I don't like anything
0: 70s or 80s I know you are a freak thank you (laughs) I know that's good all right my final question to you If you could give one piece of advice to your 20 year old self, what would it be?
1: You can do anything. Believe, put the work in, have the vision, and work out how to get there. Invest in yourself. So don't sit there in your company and go, I can't go to that course because of whatever. Fund it yourself. Like, stop being a. Gosh, I'm gonna fight it. Don't be a victim. Believe Uh, in yourself and back yourself.
0: Deb, I love that advice. I seriously cannot believe when people go, Oh, I want to do that course, but my company won't pay for it. And it's like, pay for it yourself. It was like, um, I do some work with a friend of mine, Janine Gardner, and she always says that you know, the the company own your job, you own your career. So Mm. if you want to do some development, don't Rely on your company to do it, and if they don't do it, do it yourself.
1: Uh, look, absolutely. I mean, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to um work in 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 local government where there well, we had an arrangement with Swinburne that they did twenty five percent, the City of Burundi did twenty five percent, and I paid fifty percent for you know a master's degree. And you just think that is such an investment That's such a wise company because they they reap the benefits of Mm. of of that and I, i felt really really supported so um get qualified um find some humility be curious learn be hungry but back yourself
0: yeah, Deb, thank you so much. I think uh, that it, you obviously took the advice from your twenty-year-old self that you can do anything because um, <laughs> you are absolutely a living legend. You're doing amazing work. Um, I think uh, the Metropolitan Cemetery, Cemetery Trust cannot be in any greater hands, especially with the challenges you spoke about. You know how do how do we keep this going and how do we create land? the living and the dead which I, I loved when you said that so thank you so much for being part of the authentic leadership podcast um your insights have been amazing thank
1: you thanks gabrielle it's been a pleasure thanks for tuning in to this
0: episode of the authentic leadership podcast we welcome your suggestions for leaders you would like to
2: hear from in future episodes